Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud has some rather significant scheduling news that uh, I think broke right after we put out the last podcast. So we'll circle back, revisit that, uh, look at the impact of a year without playing Florida. Thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce. As always, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Title sponsor of the Nolcast. Good people who make it happen. So tip the hat to New Iberia, Louisiana, Bud. And uh, most of this will be listener questions that come predominantly from our Patreons, although email and and general social media was sampled for this pretty hard. uh, But it's going to be different this year on every end of the equation. Uh, And I was about to say for a lot of us, I think pretty much everyone, uh, this will be the first year that we don't watch in the University of Florida and Florida State play football. So interesting. Really disappointing decision there uh, on behalf of the SEC. Not entirely surprising. Um, I the one thing we did get in before we before we wrapped the last podcast was we we talked about how the ACC leaving the door open to play this game uh, at the least was a pretty quality PR move on their part because it makes them look like hey we want to play this game and and the SEC wants to play this game too. It's just realistically like they and I think they're right on this. I, I think they're acknowledging the difficulty of getting in ten games within your own league, much less playing anybody in the non-conference, especially if you're going to try to keep divisional play, which they are. I, I don't think the ACC should go back to divisions, by the way. And we'll talk about that in an upcoming question, uh, whereas the SEC kind of has defined divisional rivalries and, and it just it kind of makes sense how, how they do it, although I think you know it's still kind of crappy and they should go to pods. But not having the, 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 the Florida game, I mean, let's just be, let's be fans here for a second. It sucks, man. Like even if you were going to lose that game and you're going to be a dog in that game, it still sucks not to play that. Like that—that's one of the reasons why we watch, right? It's 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 the rivalry. It's why does the Sunshine State Scorecard do a thousand comments, literally? Because everybody wants to weigh in. Because everybody works with Gator fans or with Miami fans who you are playing this year, right? That not everybody works with Syracuse fans or. I almost said Maryland fans, but they're not even in the league anymore. Not everybody works with Louisville fans. <laughs> Let's go with their replacement. Uh, so that that really stinks, not, not not to be able to play that game. I have some questions, and I'm curious as to what your thoughts are, and as I haven't seen any announcements, what does this do to the uh, home and road rotation of the series? I assume Florida State is not going to be willing to give up their home game and play back-to-back at Florida, uh, but if if so, if if Florida State ends up getting Florida at home uh, next year, then that would be the weird situation to where Florida State's schedule is kind of jacked up in even numbered years because that would mean you would have Miami and Florida at home in odd in odd numbered years, right? Twenty twenty one, and you'd be playing on the road uh, at Miami and at Florida in even numbered years. So that's that's tough. And also, Florida, I think, would have what? They would have Florida State on the road, and they would have, I think they would have another one of their rivalries, or, or pseudo-rivalries at least, on the road. That, that might be weird for them as well, uh, because that, I know they do their kind of home-and-home thing uh, as far as like technically home-and-home home with with Georgia, right? So like some years, they're the home team in, in, in Jacksonville. Some, t- some years, they're the road team, but, but they, uh, they, they do try to keep their seven home games. This is just one example of the fascinating ripple effects that the rescheduling due to COVID is going to have on the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be, you know, to be determined as to how much 
sports you play in general, how much college football you play in general. Uh, I am a little bit worried for the sport uh, to speak more from a macro sense, the fact that you are stripping out a lot of the traditional rivalries, uh, a lot of the things that make the, make the sport so interesting and wonderful. You know, not that anybody was any false illusions up until this year, but it's become all the more clear as to the how big of a business it is and then kind of almost how much of an exclusive club uh, these, you know, five or, or six, or, well, five power conferences participate in. And then, uh, you know, no football at all for the, for the vast majority of people. And I know this sounds crazy, uh, but there's a lot of small games in there that really matter a ton to people. And it's just uh, a big loss. You know, like I went to a D3 school that has a really intense rivalry with a, with another school and, and Randolph Macon and Williams Amherst is a great rivalry. There's all these small college rivalries that exist throughout the country uh, that are just not going to occur this year. So are in all likelihood are not going to occur. So a big loss for the sport, as everybody's dealing with. I am happy that they're going to do everything possible to try to get this year off the ground, but I'm slightly worried about the long-term repercussions and, and what's going to happen to college football as a result. I, I, I agree with you, man. I, I think our sport is in uh, a, a bit of a transitional place, uh, unfortunately. And some of that is good, but a lot of that is is not, uh, in in my opinion. Um, and and I, I don't think college football can exist if it's not played at multiple levels. I, I do think playing it at multiple levels helps keep the collegiate feel of the game and sort of help keeps the whole like charade of student athlete in the game because you have like you get to cite all these stats about how many of these guys actually go pro at D1 and, and kind of you know off to the side you see the asterisk D1 includes FCS. I also think just as our sport as, as a whole, you don't want it to turn into boxing. And and by that I mean like if you don't have kids playing high school football anymore because they don't think they don't see a a shot to go on and play college football not just fbs i mean most of your kids in high school are not going to go play fbs ball even your players that aren't very good in high school a lot of them get a chance to go play d2 d3 naia ball and and that helps kind of keep the dream alive and i think if you yeah if if we see contraction in the sport that that's not good Uh, that's that's probably a longer conversation we could have at some point uh, but I, I think there's a trickle down effect, which could be, uh, negative. And I know we've talked about that before. You know, are, are some of these, some of these moms in, in suburbia are going to let their kids play with, with all the concussion scare stuff, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but that's, that's kind of depressing. Anyway, I, I think that's, that's probably a long ways off though, if, if that happens. Um, just from a, a real win loss perspective, looking at the, the Florida game sucks that it's not going to happen for all the reasons we talked about. But you are removing a game that I would have probably had you having a 90% chance of losing. So um, it'll be fascinating to see what gets replaced. I don't know that it necessarily moves me from uh, from a projection, particularly if they put on a, a replacement school that you're close, uh, can, you know, have a confidence degree of 80% or higher winning. Uh, but it sure does make that path to six a hell of a lot more easier. And, uh, you know, I don't, Again, I would still classify six wins as a as a major success, even with a UF game taken out. But uh, we'll just have to see if there's a replacement and if there's a replacement where it falls in line with the schedule to really get an impact or, or feel for the true impact of of the game being taken off the schedule. Yeah, I, I think that's that's true. Now, if if bowl games are if bowl game eligibility is still determined uh, by you know, win loss record, which I'm not sure it will be this year. 
I, I think in order to keep some of the bulls alive, and we have a question coming on this too, uh, you, you may just let the bulls pick whoever the heck they want. And in that case, Florida State would, would, would get picked. Uh, but yeah, like the, the chance that Florida State uh, finishes with a winning record in an 11 game schedule, you know, 10 plus one with Florida on there is not very good. Uh, it's not zero, but it, it, the chance that they have a winning record without playing Florida is, or at least a 500 record is obviously uh, higher without playing that game. So yeah, I'm glad we brought that up. I know that was a little bit old news, but it's just kind of, you know, when we dropped the last pod, we, we hadn't yet seen the SEC ruling. So we've, uh, you know, long since been very proud of and excited about our partnership with Madison Social and all the entities of the For the Table Restaurant Group and have kind of given a uh, ambiguous plea to go and support them in whatever method possible, whether it be a t-shirt purchased from afar, sandwich uh, to go, or however it may be. want to give you a little bit more detail this time. Uh, you can go to madisonsocial.com backslash nolcast. Have a great Nolcast t-shirt there that they've made available and also a uh, a really cool hat. So uh, just a, a little bit more specific support if you want to give it to them tied to this specific show. Uh, but great people as always want to give our best to them, let them know that they're going to make it through and uh, we're ever so fortunate to be able to partner uh, with Matt and his team. But again, you can go to madisonsocial.com backslash Nolcast and take a look at some of the gear that they've made available. So, uh, by the way, one thing I wanted to point out, and, and I, I just want to point this out. I don't want to claim this because I haven't done my full research on this because this came out last night. The Big 12 is allowing the nine plus one model that they had discussed allowing, um, or adding an extra conference game, which I thought would have been a total like, like calamity. I would love to see it that the Big 12 playing a round robin plus one inter, you know, within their conference, but, uh, they're going to play one non conference game. I'd be interested, and, and the ACC is playing one non conference game. I don't think the West Virginia game is going to happen because I, I, I don't think Atlanta is going to want to host a neutral site opener game at this point, but I don't know. Maybe they could work something out. That'd be kind of neat to see Florida State still play West Virginia. My, my assumption is that they will probably play a, a cupcake just to get an, an opening game. And if you ask Mike Morbell, he'd probably tell you, like, I'd like some kind of <laughs> little warm-up game here, guys, please, because I don't even know all my players yet. Uh, you want to get into uh, listener questions here? Some good questions, kind of scattering uh, of subject matters that we tried to pick from, but uh, Kyle asked the first question. Uh, great podcast, fellas. Thank you much, Kyle. I know there's a lot of talk about what would happen to players and coaches if a COVID outbreak were to occur. However, not much discussion on if officials were to get it. Is there a plan in place if officials were uh, to get it, or how do the individual conferences plan on handling this? I know a lot of refs in high school and college, so not sure if they have a backup pool ready to go. Okay, I have not thought about this other than just reading it this morning. I don't think they have a backup pool ready to go. There's kind of a shortage of referees at the national level that people will tell you. I know in Florida, we, we had like a brief, like what, referee strike, I, I think in a couple counties last, uh, last fall or, or two falls ago, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, but there's definitely a shortage at, at the high school level. There are not enough refs to go around. That's why some of these schools, in addition to not having fields all the time, some of these schools will play on a Friday night or, or excuse me, on a Saturday morning or, or even a Thursday game in some of these metro areas. Man, my guess is that they do not have backup college referees ready to go. So either they would promote some from the high school level uh, or they would perhaps go to, to a one-man-down type crew 
if they could. But yeah, like this is just a pretty good example, honestly, of all the intricacies that are involved in putting this thing on. In addition to just let's test the players and let's test the coaches and, and hope they, they stay somewhat isolated from the general student population in order to avoid, uh, you know, avoid mass infection. Have you heard anything about this? I talked to a friend of mine who, who uh, works in the SEC, and they certainly don't have any kind of Team 2 going on. Most of those guys aren't really like FTEs. A lot of those guys, you know, sell insurance and then uh, referee. Uh, so it's not like the conferences could necessarily even put them in a bubble. I think they may have a, a couple extra people that they basically – put on standby uh, as far as like maybe having some refs who retire, retired a couple of years ago. Uh, but there's some talk about each individual conference kind of trying to build up a base of people to which it could rotate through. But, you know, there's certainly not, it's not like the ACC has, you know, some guy <laughs> in the background who we're all going to, uh, you know, who message boards are going to speculate as to how much he hates FSU. Uh, you know, there is no minor league officials is basically what I'm saying. So there is no pool of which they're currently developing to which they can kind of set aside and, and try to put in bubble wrap. So like you said, it's just going to be another wrinkle and another challenge getting this year off. Absolutely. So I, I, that's a pretty good question there from Kyle. You know what else is pretty good? Legendary home loans, man. Legendary home loans make a legendary decision with Shannon and Chad. I did it twice for my home loan and for my refi when, when, when rates dropped. Obviously, no fees for folks who have already used Shannon and Chad there. Really exciting opportunity if you need to get a refi or you're looking to buy in this market right now. Over 60 NOLCAST listeners have chosen Shannon and Chad for their home loan. 844-FSU loan. It's 844 844- FSU loan, you call Shannon up, expert service, access to awesome rates, and you get a little null chat with them as well. Find out why so many Nolcast listeners have decided to make a legendary decision. 844 FSU loan. Next question comes from Robert. Uh, Robert sends his best to us, which is always appreciated. And he writes, I guess by now you've personally received this email or have had it sent to you. This is an email from the um, ticket office. As a season ticket holder from Texas, the decisions that Florida State continues to make are frustrating. We generally make it to one game a year, but haven't been back since (laughs) Willie's Virginia Tech opener. I totally understand after the buyout that they need financial support, but rather than pivoting to real discussions about how this will unfold in August, they keep just punting uh, any dialogue. I'd be personally willing to write a check uh, and chalk it up as some donation and not receive any dollar back, but at the same time, I'm getting a sour taste the longer they pretend this is a viable option. I can't be alone in this thought process. I would love y'all's thought. So I included this one, bud, because, um, man, I'm not sure there's really a bad guy here. I, I think that everybody is under such a horrible situation right now uh, that I don't think Florida State's just trying to punt. I think Florida State's waiting for more clarity as to, you know, I mean, I know these schools know who they're going to play. Uh, but there's still a pretty significant gap as to when they're going to play them, uh, how they're going to market them, how they're going to make them available to their season ticket holders. I will bang on Florida State and Florida State Athletics when it's when it's appropriate. I just don't think that anybody's in a great place here, Robert. And I think there's going to be a lot of frustration from a lot of people as they try to figure out how the hell they could do this and, and, and whether or not if there's even going to be a home attendance. It's just... Uh, so many things are kind of hanging out there that 
probably a recipe for some parties being disappointed just because of the lack of information in general. Yeah, I was going to say we are, are certainly no uh, no strangers to saying the boosters could be better here, here, and here. Uh, and maybe the message from them just needs to be, hey, guys, we really appreciate you supporting us, and we, we just don't know yet, right? But the the only play here is is to punt because you don't really like I don't know what other play you call I I think if you if you tell people hey we're anticipating starting on this date with a home game and people book hotels and flights and then you have to roll that back the number of people who are going to be angry with you I I think is substantially more than the number of people who are going to be angry on getting sort of sh- short notice on when the season is actually going to start because quite frankly they they don't know and if the numbers stay what they are right now all these college ball teams are betting on the numbers dropping within the next month and they are reducing in some areas. And I, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a terrible bet, right? It's, it's not a lock, but, but it's not a terrible bet. The ACC is planning on starting on time. I think in part, because if they have good numbers, then they'll go ahead and start. If they don't, they know they have a little bit of a cushion to push back. That's why. Florida State and the other ACC schools really can't tell people exactly when they're starting and who they're starting with. So this is just going to be be a tough situation. And I, I think this is a situation which also uniquely impacts Florida State relative to some other major football schools because like if you're a Bama fan and you don't know when your when your your games are going to start, you probably live in like Birmingham, man, or maybe Atlanta. It's not that bad of a drive over. You know, you're talking about an hour or, or four hours. If you're, if you're like Robert and you live in Texas and, and you want to support the team or you live in Miami, like you can't day trip Miami to, to Tallahassee. You could kind of day trip it at Atlanta to Tuscaloosa, right? You, you, you can, you can day trip Atlanta to Clemson. So this is, we, we bang on this a lot, but, but it's still true because the cities haven't moved. Florida State's population is so spread out as far as their alumni and, and so much of it is, is far away from Tallahassee that I do think they, that they are a fan base which needs a little bit more heads up as to when games are going to be played. Uh, and and I, I sympathize with Robert here, but I, I agree with you. I don't really think there's a great answer to this. Megan asks, how much of MLB's ability to handle COVID and get their uh, collective season off the ground uh, could impact whether or not we see college football this year. So I've uh, had a couple different versions of this question. I think it's important. Obviously, I think it may be slightly more important some of the, than, than some of the other sports. But, Bud, what is your opinion? Obviously, baseball's had some hiccups. Miami Marlins situation, something that we talked about previously, uh, although they seem to have not had any kind of greater fallout from that. But uh, what do you make of baseball's attempts to get a season going and how much that could impact college football. So the, the reason why baseball is important is because baseball of the major sports is the one that is playing right now without a bubble. Now, I guess hockey, they're not bubbling, right? Or are, no, no, they are, right? Kind of. Uh, yeah, they've got two locations up, yeah, that they're basing out of. Yeah, so it's not one, but but so baseball is the, really the one that is just out in the open, they're, they're not playing it like they're, they're playing all over the country. They're, they're traveling, they're encountering a lot of people. And they're also the one that has had outbreaks. So I do think that college ball people are watching baseball very closely because I don't think it's all that reasonable to, uh, to bubble 
college football. You could do it, but you'd have to, there's a lot of admissions you'd have to make. Like, eh, these guys aren't really like they're students, but they're also kind of employees. And I don't think the NCAA wants, wants to make that admission right now, although eventually they might be forced to do so. Uh, but man, I, yeah, that, that, that's, that's a, a tough one here. Um, for that reason, because you really can't bubble college football effectively and, and you really can't bubble MLB, or I guess you could, they just chose not to. How would this, how would this impact it? I think they're, they're going to watch it closely to see the mistakes MLB made, which clearly like the Marlins deciding, should we play via text message instead of like alerting the league and following the protocols? What was a problem? You know, that's problematic. Uh, the Phillies. Now I will say the good, I found it encouraging on Monday that the Marlins and Phillies had no new positive tests. Like it didn't shut them down for a month. It shut them down for what, five days maybe. And they're able to basically isolate, quarantine, et cetera. But this is why I wrote that article, all hands on deck. Coaches preparing to use the entire roster on 24 seven sports because like you're going to have some outbreaks. And if you're going to, if you're going to want to play the sport, you're probably going to have to play walk ons. At, at some spots like that, if you don't, if you don't think you're going to lose like a quarter of your roster one week, maybe you have to miss a game. And then the next week guys are sitting out due to, you know, the, the time period requirement and you got to sub in some dudes. I, I think you're wrong. I may be wrong, but I, I think you're wrong if you don't think that's going to happen. So yeah, it, it's certainly going to be a situation that everybody watches. Brett asks, do you think there will be bowl games this year, given the conferences are already playing conference only schedules? And is it possible that G5 schools may not even play? If not, and given that this is already a zero-year scenario for Norvell, do you see him doing some crazy, unorthodox things this season, either with personnel or play calling? Okay, so two, two really different questions here from, from Brett. We appreciate them both. Uh, yes, I definitely think that there will be bowls this year. Uh, the bowls really want to play. I do think, uh, and I'm probably going to write an article about this, that we might see a reduction in the number of bowls because what you have to focus on here is why the bowls exist. Some bowls exist because they help support the local community, that they bring in tourism to the area, et cetera. Those are the type of bowls to where if we don't think we're going to have fans in the stands or have very reduced capacity in the stands, I could see being canceled. However, the other bowls exist because ESPN owns them. And they need TV inventory to run during the like the holiday season. They, they need something for you, guy who has you know, a decent bit of December off at home with the family. Maybe the in-laws are home. Need something to watch on the TV and, and just kind of drone on in the background so they could sell advertising against it. Because otherwise, December you know during during the week is is kind of dead uh, for for ESPN. So they need bowls to put on. Those bowls, I think, make ESPN money pretty much regardless if there are any fans in the stands or not. So those bowls, I think ESPN is probably going to push pretty hard to happen because they're, they're selling advertising inventory against it already because Q4 is coming up. Uh, so th- that's kind of my answer on that. Do you think Norvell will do any crazy and orthodox things this season, either with personnel or play calling? Yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think he probably will because he'll want to, experiment some, but I think he'll also probably do some stuff just out of necessity. Like I bet you they're going to try to prepare some kind of Jordan Travis package. I don't know if they think Jordan Travis can throw the last staff didn't. I think there's a decent chance that, that they have to run some kind of Jordan Travis package to, to get a run game going to, to get that plus one as a blocker. And who knows, like what if you have a COVID situation, 
Jordan Travis could be your could be your starting quarterback for a game or two or for a while. That, that that's just kind of one example there. Like I thought about this the other day. Who is Florida State's emergency quarterback? Have you thought about this? Yeah, I was talking. I mean, I've been thinking about this kind of the way that a baseball team treats an emergency catcher. And uh, yes, I don't know who that would be. I don't know if it would be DJ. Uh, I'm not sure who you would look to to fill that role or or who the responsibility would go to. But I kind of had two names, and I, I think you're right on one of them. By the way, I, I think DJ is clearly one, and then probably Travis J is the other. Uh, tra- yeah, uh, Travis Dre. I mean, like you you would just run some kind of wildcat with him throwing. Just, just get him on the field regardless, and and I'll be a, a happy individual. So yeah, yeah, no, those are two names to to probably anticipate something like that. So yeah, good good question there, Brett. Nolcast also brought to you by Travis Johnson, Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm, a board certified family law attorney. Only two hundred eighty of those in the state out of more than one hundred and ten thousand attorneys. That means Travis is a top line expert in family law, wide variety of family family law matters he handles on a regular basis. Florida State grad twice over, 850-435-9919, 850-435-9919. You may not need Travis's number right now, but you may need it in the future, so just take it down. And uh, if you ever have a family law matter, you know who to call, 850-435-9919. That's Travis Johnson. And for Noel Castle listeners, free consult and flexible payment rates. Tell him saying. Josh chimes in, uh, since both of us are best always appreciated, and he says he was going through our new schedule using your method of assigning percentages to each game to determine a win total, and I came to a number of 5.6 wins. Now, my prediction is that we finish 5-5. Five and five. I rounded down due to the fact that Norvell only got three spring practices in before COVID, and he has not been able to do an adequate install uh, given the circumstances. Had he gotten all the spring practices and some scrimmages in before COVID, I probably would have been closer to six and four. Basically, I have two questions here. Where does your number stand? And what percentages have you assigned to each game? Secondly, uh, what would a Taggart coached staff, okay, this is where we get some layers here. Secondly, what would a Taggart coached team go with with this same schedule? I have his number at 4.5 and would down round down uh, with possibly three and seven be more likely than five and five. Uh, with Norvell, I would have six and four being more likely than four and six. So he's got it all his percentages here. Uh, it's an interesting look, you know, and, and, uh, we'll do it here. Do we want to go through all the games or, or just kind of talk about the general thing? I, I feel like I think we can just take it, talk about it in, in general speaking. Yeah. I- you know, is, is there any particular game that you feel different about uh, with Willie versus others? I don't, not necessarily, uh, but I, I do think it's an idea as to where the program would be or, or where it is now. Yeah, so I, I actually, I came up with, like, when I just ran just, like, power ratings, um, I, I came up with a pretty similar number to, to what Josh came up with. I think I was at, like, 5.4, maybe. Uh, but I, and I agree with him. I, I think you need to round down, uh, and, and apply uh, a penalty for all year one or like all, you know, year one coaches who I, I believe are, are in a year zero situation because they don't even know their players yet. They haven't had them on campus. You know what I mean? Like, like they, they don't know who these guys are yet. There's a reason why Marvin Wilson is like the leader everybody follows, you know, as opposed to the coaches. The interesting thing here is I, I definitely would, I think any penalty that you apply, to Willie for poor coaching has to be a lot smaller than than the penalty you apply to Mike Norvell for having like zero time to work with his team. I would have Willie's number 
higher than Mike Norvell. And that's fully like obviously accounting for the fact that Willie did some bad coaching at times. I, I, I would easily take Willie's staff over Norvell's staff coaching wise for this specific year because you would have continuity of system. You would have like guys would not be, be trying to learn a new system. They would already know what they're doing. They would have multiple years of experience in it. If, if they ever knew what they were doing, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I agree. Yeah. But like, do, do you think we'll have more confusion this year under Norvell or more confusion? Uh, like if you had Willie in year three, I, I know who I'm taking there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if we had a traditional year, I'd probably disagree with you to be honest with you. I'd, I'd probably take the year one staff. If you were able to do uh real install, have spring, etc. cetera. Uh, but uh, certainly different circumstances. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, although it would be interesting to see, you know, if, if you did end up having, you know, Levitt run the defense year three and you'd be in year two of Kendall Bryles. So we're grabbing at a, a bunch of things here and it's, it's hard to say. We're, and we're, you know, we're just projecting. So you always do that. One thing I will say, and this would be hard to speculate as to where you would be with the previous administration, but it certainly appears as though you've had a, a larger buy-in in your strength and conditioning uh, program as much as possible. And I think that uh, from a, from overall expectations of being able to handle a season and that it looks like you've had a lot of guys do work where you haven't in the past two years. So uh, I would try to put that into some kind of mathematical formula as well on the plus for Norvell. I want to push back on that a little bit though. Yeah. Okay. A lot of bumps in the road, but I will say the strength and conditioning program under Willie was one of the more disappointing things that uh, I I particularly would associate with his time. I would still take both years of Willie strength conditioning over what they had this off season. Like I think we've seen some impressive individual examples, but FSU's social media is not going to be out there putting the guy who put on thirty pounds or who you know lost fifteen pounds of muscle, right? Like that. I think we got to remember that, man. Like this was not a traditional season, off season of lifting. It was not a traditional off season of calories. I, I, I think the staff is to be commended for the job they did given the circumstances. But it, like, if you grade this without a curve, the grade is, is pretty bad. And that's across college football, right? Like, so luckily most college teams were in the same situation. A couple of college teams, you know, like they didn't have any COVID in their state basically. And, and so they like gyms never closed and that, that type of thing. But like there are guys who didn't have access to gyms. There are guys who didn't have access, you know, to weights for for you know good periods of time. And there are a ton of guys who didn't have access to to the kind of calories, either you know supplementation or restriction that they needed. Now, I'm, I'm I think Florida State is very happy they got some guys back on campus when they did. But like this is not a traditional offseason of lifting, so I want to make that clear, at least in my opinion. I they did a really good job considering the circumstances. And I, I think, I think coach storms is, is a pretty good hit there. Most people seem really excited about him. Yeah. I, I I'm more so speaking. And I agree that uh, you didn't have your, your normal time to lift. You didn't have your sessions. You're not going to have as much of a gain as you will. I do think there was a larger buy-in and participation, even in the untraditional and unorthodox manner that it had to occur. Now, whether that's just because Storms runs a great program and, and is able to connect with kids, is it because kind of like new sheriff in town and, you know, whole new staff, you've got to try to do all you can. We'll see. But uh, I do think there's a, a broader participation uh, than there has been. So we'll try to figure out how much of an impact that has and, and where the consequences from that are really felt, if they are at all. 
No doubt. I know you got a uh, got a hard drop here, so we'll just take one or two more. Brian's. Oh, I, I guess we should we should finish answering Josh's question. I the thing is though, I I don't know that I would round up necessarily with, with Willie there, right? Like my number might be, you know, like the same five point, you know, like, like five point four, five point five, whatever. But I would not round down to four. Like there's no. I, I guess that was my point. Like like I would not round down one point four wins. Uh, you know, w- w- with the coaching staff, with with continuity, if you're only going to round down by like 0.4 with, with with the years of your coaching staff that doesn't even know all its players yet, and that doesn't mean like they don't know their names, like they just they don't they don't know them because they haven't been around them. So yeah, I I also yeah I I do kind of think four and six is more likely than six and four personally, but that's really because of the year zero penalty there. That 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 would probably be the one the one change I I, I would make. Brian asks so. Do you think the current pandemic will have any impact or previously unforeseen impact uh, on conference realignment? Okay, so his his wild and crazy hypothetical is this, and y'all got to follow this kind of long. Uh, West Virginia game in Atlanta gets dropped in exchange for West Virginia joining the ACC in 2020 and having guaranteed home and home with FSU the next three seasons. Pretty sure they're under a grant of rights with the Big 12, so that, that can't happen uh, at all. ACC goes with 10 plus one conference only schedule for 2020. That did happen and leverages the addition of West Virginia to get Notre Dame, uh, to finally commit becoming a full time member of the conference by preventing Notre Dame to play their 2020 ACC games. Uh, and which could be filled by West Virginia. Obviously, like, like, no, the, uh, uh, that didn't happen. Um, and I think the ACC is very smart to not try to bully Notre Dame into this. I, I think using honey instead of vinegar here was the right call. By the ACC, they have a, an exclusive negotiating window that runs through, I think, 2032-ish. It's, it's like a decade from now, basically. Uh, and I think trying to power play Notre Dame during the pandemic was, was not the right move. And I'm glad the ACC did not do that because Notre Dame could be like, yeah, you know, um, we're just going to sit tight here and, and we'll, we, we guarantee you teams will still schedule us and we'll comply with whatever conference uh, testing requirements other leagues have. Uh, so that I think good job by ACC. And uh, so Brian's final question, uh, or I guess he has two more, more points. Is that I probably should just read the whole thing first. Apologies. Uh, and now 16 team ACC realigns the divisions into a 14 pod format. I would love to see pods. I think that's much smarter. Uh, but 16 team conferences are, are tough to manage. And the incoming commissioner hypes up the first super conference and negotiates a TV deal that incorporates NBC money. And the ACC quickly catches up to the other conferences in annual TV revenue. Not totally crazy, although I think the TV market and contracts is uh, rapidly shifting. What do you think on this? Uh, what, what are some scenarios, he asks, if any, do you think might happen in regards to realignment in the next few years? Yeah, so it's a fascinating. Uh, always, you know, realignment's a crazy subject matter and um, hard to protect. I do think that there's some base principles that you can take away from this. One, that there probably will be some kind of uh, I don't know if final is an appropriate terminology, but there will be some kind of resettling of the landscape when it comes to realignment. And it could happen in two years, could happen in 10 years. Uh, when that happens, ultimately, I think Florida, stand, Florida State fans should hope for it. Uh, there's two things that I'm very convinced of. One, Florida State won't land in the SEC. And two, Florida State will be just fine. Florida State uh, will be one of the more attractive properties out there particularly with the academic success that they've had over the past 10 years, makes themselves a, uh, much different when it comes in the eyes 
of marketability to some other conferences. And that if we're going to go to some kind of crazy mass, you know, a big conference setup where the ACC or PAC 12 or somebody gets kind of left behind, uh, that I think Florida state, uh, will be fine. And that, uh, ultimately once this great shakeup does come, uh, that Florida state would be one of the more, uh, desirable brands out there. And that, uh, if Florida state were to move conferences, uh, I think it would find a, a, a very appropriate landing place. I, I agree with you. I, I think that's, they're going to be just fine. I wonder if, if you could get some conference realignment out of this. That I think that the pandemic could be a catalyst for some other major changes to college football, which down the line perhaps could result in conference realignment. But I, I think that's pretty far down the line. I, I don't think it's, it's a real long tail thing. And I do not believe that you're going to be able to easily trace it in just five years. Maybe 15 years from now, we see, all right, like these are the schools that still want to play college football at this level. Maybe they do realign. I, I'm also not on the Power Five is breaking away from the NCAA train anytime soon. I think there are a lot of potential issues there that, that people overlook when they just say, hey, the P5 is going to break off. And, and I understand why the P5 would break off, but I, I think that you have to consider both sides of the coin there. So I'm not really convinced that it's going to lead to, to realignment or, or the P5 breaking off anytime soon. Could, but I, I, that's, that's not where, where my head's at right now. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. One of the things that this could bring about is like the idea of a college football commissioner. Um, it's certainly been talked about. That's going to be cha- have its own set of challenges uh, to implement, but it's, you know, something will have to happen to where, I, I don't mean like parity uh, is going to occur, but at some point, you know, you, you're going to have to have some kind of level playing field. Otherwise, you're you're legitimately looking at like five to ten schools just kind of running away from everybody. So, uh, how that happens, when it happens, is hard to see. Uh, but I don't know that it's a great thing for the sport for like Alabama, <laughs> Ohio State, and some of these other powers to basically operate off of a blank check and uh, for everybody else to kind of constantly chase behind. Although, to an extent, uh, that's kind of always going to be part of the uh, unique ingredients or set of ingredients that makes college football uh, kind of the, the, enjoyable, the enjoyable odd thing for us to watch and, and partake in at the same time. Absolutely. All right, dude. Good episode. And, uh, you know, probably our next episode will be when, uh, when fall camp starts. A couple days. Fingers crossed. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Push them forward with it uh, as, as everybody is with everything here. Uh, get it off the ground. It'll be fun for us to actually be able to talk about some real football here. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's keep our fingers crossed that, uh, you know, everything happens in as responsible a manner as possible, but it does look like we'll be able to change the subject from some of these loose hypotheticals that we've had to uh, talk about for about five months now. By the way, I'll leave you with this. If some kids aren't at practice and we actually get media access and we see they're not at practice, don't assume that it's because of you know behavior stuff. Florida State is not releasing details on who has COVID and who doesn't, but, but we do know they have some cases. I don't know if they're active cases, but I, like, I, I know they've had positive tests in football. Uh, so don't freak out if somebody doesn't show up. It doesn't mean that they're academically ineligible or ineligible for some other reason or they failed the drug test or suspended. Like 
it's very possible that they just are out with COVID and the school is not saying for, you know, because they, they don't feel like they, they need to release the information. So just, you know, fair warning there. When, when you start to see the photos, don't lose your mind if somebody's not in the photos. Thank you to our sponsors who make uh, small little projects like this possible. We'll have more for you. We've been on a good little run here. This has been fun. And uh, we'll continue to bring as much information about the program as possible to you. Uh, but for now, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank you.